Thank you for listening to the Lake Murray Baptist Church podcast. Lake Murray Baptist Church is a Southern Baptist church located in Lexington, South Carolina. Our aim is to be a church committed to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, and this podcast is a resource for our members who are seeking to live in light of the gospel among their neighbors and the nations. Welcome to this episode of the Lake Murray Baptist Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Today, we continue in our series uh, behind the sermon, where we take a little bit of a deeper look into uh, the sermon from this past Sunday. And the text for this past week was 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. And I was very privileged to listen to our Connections Pastor, David Bennett, preach through the Word this Sunday. It was an incredible sermon. If you haven't listened to it, you can go back uh, in our archive and listen to the sermon uh, on the podcast. That will give you a great kind of frame of reference for what we're going to be talking about here because this pod is designed really to just give a little bit of more information about the sermon. So David Bennett's here with me. David, thanks for being on the pod. Yeah, it's good to be here this morning. Glad to dive a little bit deeper into uh, the sermon from this past week. Well, you did a great job, man. And I think we kind of set the tone for this last week. So let me just ask you just a couple of quick questions and and that go a little bit maybe behind some of the things that you were preaching on this Sunday. Don't have the opportunity to get to everything, but I want to start here. So one of the words that we often see, really, we see it in this passage and really throughout the entire letter of First Timothy is the word faith. So can you maybe tell us a little bit more about why Paul uses this word so much and about its importance? Yeah, so we we see this word faith as a theme throughout the letter, but even more specifically, we see it pretty often in verses 12 through 20. And uh, we may not see it as faith, but we see uh, the Greek word for, for faith several times in these verses. In verse 12, we see it uh, as the Greek word pistos, which means trustworthy or faithful. Uh, there, Paul is, is saying that he was judged faithful by the Lord. We see it in verse 13 in referring to Paul's life before Christ, that he uh, lived in unbelief. And the word there is uh, in the Greek is uh, apistia. And then in verse 14, he again refers to faith. Uh, the, the Greek word there is pistis. Again, you can see that the Greek word pisto is the uh, word that is that is seen often throughout this. He sees it uh, or writes it again in verse 15 when, again, he's referring to uh, his trustworthiness uh, and his faithfulness. And then in verse 16, when he is referring specifically to the conversion experience, uh, he, he says there that uh, it is to believe. He uses faith and belief there together in verse 16. And I, I think this is really important and one for us to notice with these verses because it really does stress the importance of faith in the experience experience of conversion. Paul's doing this very intentionally. He is helping his uh, his reader, Timothy, and even the the church as a whole to to understand that faith is the pivotal response to Christ, mm. uh, that we are to believe in him for salvation. And this really does combat uh, the false teaching that he uh, is addressing and talks about in the first part of chapter one that you've preached on the previous two weeks is that uh, he's saying there's some that are believing 
that faith or believing that salvation can come uh, in, in some other way. And so uh, he, he, even as he's sharing his testimony in verses 12 through 20, wants to emphasize the importance of faith. And I think practically for us, it would cause us, I think, to, to ask the question, are we relying on anything else uh, besides our faith in Christ for our salvation? Are we maybe not, maybe we don't say it outwardly, but maybe we at times can think it inwardly uh, that there are things that I can do in order to earn some of God's favor in my life, or I can earn uh, a, a good standing before God. And and I think Paul's writing here in his use of the word faith and his use of this, uh, this Greek word specifically helps us to understand there is nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. There is nothing uh, good that we can do, and there is nothing bad that we can do that can cause God to love us any more or any less. And I think that's important uh, for us to understand uh, practically when we think about uh, this, this theme of faith that really is going to continue on in the rest of the letter. Yeah, I love that it's got the idea of trustworthiness with it as well, right? Because all of chapter one is really about refuting the false teachers by presenting the true gospel. And I think that those two ideas work together, that the true gospel is founded on faith, right? Not on works. Uh, so much of what the false teachers are proclaiming in Ephesus revolves around works, right? It is grace and it's law, or it's grace apart from uh, 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 or, or it's the, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's they're, they're doing the works. Uh, they don't, they have, they're believing, but then they don't have to, uh, have to follow that. Yeah. Up. They don't have to follow it up. And I think Paul here wants to draw again, just another opportunity where Paul says it is about grace for salvation. And then works comes along behind that and gives evidence of that salvation, but it offers nothing to our salvation. I think that's an important piece that he's making here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I think that, again, we're going to see this as it, as it goes throughout the letter. I think that, uh, I, I just think it's important here, you know, in, in chapter one, it can almost seem as though there are uh, like part one and part two, and, and sometimes it can be hard to draw the connection between the first part of chapter one and the second part of chapter one. Right. Uh, but in the second part of chapter one, if we really do look in on that theme of faith, we see that when he starts talking about the false teachers in the beginning of the chapter, uh, they are ones who are believing that it is it is faith in something else. It is it is there's more to it. There is there's more depth to salvation than what it is. And and uh, but Paul combats that teaching. Not even with more, he is combating it with more teaching, but that teaching is rooted in his own personal experience of placing faith and belief in Jesus. Yeah, that's good. You know, uh, moving a little bit into the back part of the text, I thought you did a really good job yesterday of kind of walking us through uh, really Paul's testimony. Uh, Paul uses his testimony as the grounds for. Um, uh, and as an example of that, anyone can come to salvation. That that Christ, that Jesus's grace is sufficient for for all who would call on Him in faith. Um, but at the end of the verses that you preached yesterday, the end of chapter one, Paul has this interesting turn of phrase where he's talking about two of the false teachers and he names them uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And what he says there is that he has handed Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan. What does Paul mean here? Yeah, that's a. It was a phrase that even as I was studying it last week, was like, "Wow!" Like I, I know I've read this before, but it's one of those that can kind of jump out at you uh, because of kind of the brashness, if you will, and kind of the uh, the seriousness that Paul. 
uh, is dealing with here, the seriousness that he's treating the situation with. And so uh, to, to dive a little bit deeper into this phrase, I think understanding what is it exactly that Hymenaeus and Alexander have done is important to understand. And Paul tells us what they've done. They have rejected their conscience. And uh, this rejection here, uh, if you look at verse 19, he says, holding faith in a good conscience by rejecting this. Now, when you look at by rejecting this, what is the this that he's referring to? Well, he's referring back to a good conscience. So he's he's referring back to a good conscience and, and the faith. And so they are rejecting willfully and de- deliberately, they are rejecting not only uh, not only their faith, but the faith. They have rejected the faith uh, of, of, uh, of Christ. And so what, what has been the result? They, they have shipwrecked this faith. They uh, have, have made a mess of it, if you will. And so what does Paul do in response to these two men who have rejected their conscience, rejected the faith, shipwrecked their faith? In fact, what does he do? Well, first we see uh, that, that Paul's intention here was that they would learn, right? He says, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So there is a intention behind what Paul uh, is doing here, and and he, he wants them to learn, and he wants them to be restored. He wants them to ultimately be restored. It can seem as though at first that, oh, well, he's just handed them over to Satan. He's kind of given up on them, and it's not the case. Ultimately, Paul does want uh, these two brothers to to come back to the faith. There's another place in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where there's some similar language used. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, uh, Paul is speaking of someone similar who has rejected the faith, and he says here, what you should do with that person is that you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Ultimately, Paul wants them to be restored. So, so what is he what is he doing to them here? Well, most likely what Paul is doing here is he's excommunicating from the, them from the church. Mm. Uh, he is uh, casting them away from the family of, of faith. He's casting them away from the church, uh, and he is putting them underneath the power of Satan, but he is doing that in the hope that one day they, were, they would return. And so I think it's important for us to understand Paul's heart behind this, because it can be very easy to think that, oh, well, Paul's just giving up on these people, so we should just kind of give up on those who become false teachers or those that kind of uh, that, that go away or reject the faith. And this is not how a Christian's approach should be to those who, who have rejected the faith. No, our heart should be ultimately one of love where we desire that even if there's a season where they are excommunicated from the church, we would want them to come back into the fold. Mm-hmm. I think this has direct application on how we would even handle church discipline, is that church discipline should always be handled uh, from a place of grace and love, not one of casting away or rejecting uh, one who may have drifted or even deliberately and intentionally uh, gone away from the faith, is that ultimately we want uh, we want them to be restored. So I think that that's important for us to understand here. I mean, Paul handles it. I mean, he, he's got a very serious tone here, and he's not taking it lightly, but he is, uh, ultimately, he wants them to learn, not to blaspheme the name of the Lord, and wants them to be restored uh, back into the fold. I think one of the things probably that helps is to interpret this passage is an understanding of church discipline, right? And that seems to be largely something that many churches today no longer practice is the idea that we as a congregation, as uh, the elders, have been called to protect the body, 
And part of the way that we protect the body is by protecting it from false teaching. And so what Paul is doing here ultimately is for the good of the church by expelling uh, these two men for their false teaching. But I think you hit on something that's very important as well, is that ultimately this is not done as a punitive act. This is done with the hope of restoration. This is a restorative act that as he does these things, he is uh, hopefully uh, allowing them as outside of the body uh, to, to be drawn back into uh, correct theology, into correct doctrine, and into correct practice uh, by this action here. It's a difficult thing that Paul has to do, but ultimately it is done uh, in his love for these uh, brothers. It's done in his uh, desire to see the church flourish, and it's done ultimately as a restorative act. And, and all church discipline really uh, should be handled in that matter. Uh, I think you said it right, with grace, with an aim towards restoration, but also at the same time with a recognition of the seriousness of, of the matter at hand uh, and recognizing that perhaps even for a season, uh, if not longer, uh, that person needs to be removed from from the body. That's good. You know, David, one of the things and, and uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting about your sermon yesterday was just um, the practical application towards our own personal testimony. And I think for many of us, I think you shared about your own testimony, and I think um, uh, we've all heard uh, these kind of miraculous testimonies. But I thought one of the great things that you said was that the power of a testimony is not in the depth of sin. The power of the testimony is in the grace of God. Uh, And so all of us really are recipients of God's grace. All of us have this kind of miraculous testimony that we were once dead in sin and now are alive in Christ because of faith in him. And so one of the application points from the sermon yesterday was the importance of reflecting on writing and then being willing to share your story or testimony. And so maybe if you've got somebody out there, we've got somebody out there who, who really wants to do that, took that to heart. What are some maybe practical tips you would give to that person who wants to write out or share their testimony? Yeah, I, I thought this would be good just to, as a, as a even next step towards uh, helping people uh, apply the sermon and uh, and put into practice this application. So uh, we could spend a long time on how to share your story and how to uh, write out your testimony of what Christ has done, but I, I think there's a couple of key things that are really important when it comes to writing out and it comes to sharing your testimony. Um, I think the, the 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 way that I uh, encourage folks to write out their testimony is really in three parts. I think the first is that uh, we want to talk about our life before Christ. We want to talk about what was our life like before uh, we came to faith in Jesus. And, and this part of your story is is really going to emphasize, uh, it's going to emphasize sin. It's going to emphasize separation. This was the reality of our lives before we came to faith in Christ. It was how uh, Paul shares his testimony in this passage. He says, I once was a blasphemer. I once was a persecutor. I once was an insolent man. Uh, this was my life before Christ. Uh, and so that's kind of the first part of a testimony. I think the second part is how you came to faith in Christ. How did you actually come to faith? Was it somebody else who shared the gospel with you? Was it uh, you being uh, confronted with your sin and maybe a worship service or maybe some type of retreat setting or, or, or any number of different ways that someone can come to faith in Christ? When was the time in your life when you realized that you were separated from Christ, that you were in need of his forgiveness, and that you actually placed your faith in in 
Jesus. And so uh, that's kind of the the second part. The things that are going to be emphasized there are Christ's work, right? I think it's uh, it's highlighting the fact that all of this is the work of God through Jesus. This is why it's so important here that, that to understand what Paul says when he says, but I received mercy. We, we talked about that in the sermon is that the, the tense of that verb indicates that this is all the work of God. And so it is by uh, the faith that we have in the work of Jesus that provides salvation for us. So that's the second part. And then the last part is, well, what is your life like after Christ? This is what my life looks like now. Now that my life has been changed by Jesus, my heart has been changed by him, here is what the new self looks like. As Colossians 3 describes, uh, so many places in the scripture, the back half of Ephesians 2, we see uh, what it looks like now for someone to uh, to walk in the ways of Christ. This is where we're emphasizing things like sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, of how we are not perfect, but how our our desires have now changed to where we have a desire to want to live a holy life for the glory of God. So life before Christ, how we came to faith in Christ, and the life that we live now in Christ are kind of the big parts that you want to include in a testimony. And I think what's really important when you're writing your testimony and sharing your testimony is to make sure that that it is your testimony of how God has worked in your life, but it ultimately is a testimony of God's faithfulness and mm-hmm. that God is the main character of your testimony, yeah. uh, is that we want to make sure that we're pointing others to Jesus. We're not pointing others to ourselves. And while we may not be uh, do that intentionally. I think sometimes even in sharing our story and our testimony, it can be very focused on us when ultimately we want to lift high the gospel and the gospel's power to work in and through us to change and to transform us. And so uh, I would encourage folks just to write it out, share it with someone else, say, hey, did this make sense? Were there parts of it that maybe were confusing to you? And always make sure that you're lifting high the good news of the gospel, because I believe that a testimony is one of the most powerful ways that we can share the gospel with people around us. I think sometimes we worry, like, if I'm sharing the gospel with someone, am I going to include all the parts? Am I going to say the right thing? And I encourage folks, hey, why don't you just share your story of how you came to faith in Christ, of how God's changed your life. And no one can refute your story. No one can refute what God has done in your life specifically and the power of the gospel in your life. And so that's what I would encourage as someone as they're thinking of writing and sharing, reflecting on, on their own personal story and testimony. I think those are great, helpful tips. And uh, as you mentioned, exalting Christ in all things, you certainly did that yesterday in uh, our sermon. And uh, I was edified by it and know that many in our church were as well. Thanks for your time today, buddy. And uh, appreciate all of your uh, insight and all the work you did in the Word this week. Glad to do it. And a special thank you to you, the members of Lake Murray Baptist Church, and to all of our listeners. Remember, this podcast and the other ministries of Lake Murray Baptist Church are brought to you by the generous tithes and offerings of our church membership. To give to the ministries of Lake Murray Baptist Church, you can follow the link in the description. For more information about Lake Murray Baptist Church, you can always visit our church website, www.lakemurraybc.org. Remember to subscribe to this podcast. By subscribing, you'll be notified whenever a new pod is posted. We hope that you'll join us again next time as we seek to live in light of the gospel in the places where God has placed us for his glory, our joy, and others' good.